Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. My name is Louis Marvin, and I am a training specialist at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and this podcast is part of our Male Survivors series. Today, Tanji Reese joins me to talk about working with male survivors who are formerly incarcerated. Tanji is the Senior Program Officer at Just Detention International, or JDI. Tanji, thank you for coming to be on the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and your work with JDI? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so again, I'm Tanji Reese, I'm the Senior Program Officer with JDI. My work is doing um, advocacy. So I work on our crisis line um, and we talk to survivors who are in Michigan and Vermont. I su- help support our survivor outreach program, um, which is doing written correspondence and advocacy for survivors. And I also do um, some work with our education and training. So I help train rape crisis advocates, uh, correction staff, and also help out with inmate education. So programming for folks who are on the inside and making sure they understand PREA and the right their rights and the responsibilities of the facility. That's great. You're doing awesome work, Tanji. Thanks for being with us again. Um, we really want to focus on reentry today because we want advocates to recognize the long-term support that they can be part of providing for male survivors who um, who have experienced a sexual assault while incarcerated. So can you talk us through um, some of the things that advocates need to know so they can um, be part of providing that long-term support? Yeah, so um, the first thing to know is that when coming out of a facility and entering back in the community, um, formerly incarcerated people can have many barriers, many worries. And the best thing that advocates can do is make sure that their capacity is built to help support formerly incarcerated folks, but also just have an awareness of what their realities are and what that looks like for someone to be in a state of confinement and then come back into the community. So um, it's really important to understand that a lot of times a person is working on building relationships. Um, Relationships change after when a person is incarcerated. So they may have had a support system or people before coming in, um, but that relationships can change, you know, afterwards. what we hear is a lot of times that is a big thing that people are working on and relationships really can make or break a person's time after being released. So um, some formerly incarcerated survivors of sexual abuse have to figure out who their support system is. So they may have trouble trusting other people or even knowing who they can confide in. Um, And many survivors won't tell loved ones about the sexual abuse that they experience in detention. So for rape crisis centers, Um, In addition to the capacity, it's important that uh, there's an awareness for formerly incarcerated people that your organization is somewhere they can get that support Um, because a person may have, be experiencing, you know, all the effects from trauma, but never really feel like they could talk to anyone about what has happened. Um, 
there are also some limits on who formerly incarcerated people can associate with. So if someone is on parole or probation, it can be a violation for them to associate with pe other people who have felonies. Uh, and that might, and the, the hard part about that is um, that might be their only community, might be their only people that they have on the outside. So some folks have to just essentially start over. So on the hotline, we talk to many currently incarcerated survivors who are reluctant to talk to counselors and advocates. So they may not know who is safe to confide in. Some counselors, uh, myself, sorry, some callers have uh, just shared some worries or discomfort, even speaking to male survivors. And this is, um, um, you know, men who are incarcerated don't always want to talk to male counselors. And in the community, they might not feel like they can relate to advocates or to counselors also. So when building that relationship with them, it's important to recognize biases that um, you might have as a rape crisis advocate and your organization might have and making sure that you're doing those things that you can, that it feels welcoming to, um, that your organization feels welcoming to people who are formerly incarcerated. Uh, you wanna really, you know, think critically about your bottom line. And if your, your organization has limits on who you can serve, if you're serving people who have been sexually assaulted, anyone, um, making sure that includes people who are formerly incarcerated and making sure they feel like they have a space within your organization to receive support. Thanks, Tanji. Um, yeah, I think you and I um, have talked about how there are really a lot of barriers and um, that relationships one and the struggle to build relationships and the dynamics of building relationships upon reentry is such a great one to start with. And um, I appreciate your reminder that, that advocates um, need to be a trusted person for, for any survivor, of course, and in this context for a male survivor um, who's formerly incarcerated who uh, might have that, that particular layer of, of needing someone um, to trust and those challenges building relationships. Are there other barriers that, um, that you'd be willing to share with, with our listeners? Yeah, so some survivors also face financial barriers and receiving support around sexual abuse may not be a financial priority. So um, in some cases, a person may have to choose between getting transportation to a job interview and getting transportation to a counseling, a counseling service. Um, I think it's important to recognize that getting right now, how it stands, getting support services from a counselor is a privilege. Um, and it's a privilege. And sometimes, you know, folks may not know the privileges that they have, they can have access to, but also you ha you need some type of means in order to get counseling services, even if the services are free. Um, so also to just coming back into the community, if a survivor does not have a high school diploma or a trade or any kind of higher education, they may have barriers for employment or even opportunity. Um, they may be limited on what they can do. So recently I spoke to a survivor who entered prison at 17 and he shared his worries about re-entering the community as an adult without, without a degree, without um, work experience and the expectations are placed on him to be able to fulfill these adult duties uh, that he really hasn't had the opportunity to, to go through. So, um, and right now too, because of the pandemic, a lot of programmings in schools have, have paused in prison. So a lot of folks in prison um, 
are trying to get, you know, high school diplomas and, and higher education, but uh, in the current state of everything, that has all been on pause. So um, that's a big barrier to education is a big barrier. And survivors of formerly incarcerated uh, people in general can face housing barriers. So there's limited availability for formerly incarcerated people due to um, economic, you know, financial barriers, uh, limited affordable housing. Um, in some communities, people are coming back to there is gentrification that's happening where people are being pushed out of neighborhoods. Uh, there's discrimination against formerly incarcerated people. So sometimes um, some apartment complexes or housing places don't want people who have been formerly incarcerated or you're not allowed to live places because of a felony. Um, and then there are other systems in general that just make it difficult for formerly incarcerated people to find housing after being released. Uh, so that housing is, is one of the things that um, is, makes it difficult for a person or having stable housing. And many survivors also go into the same environment they came from, which may be toxic or hinder their ability to heal, or um, they're at greater risk to wind up back up, back behind bars on, uh, you know, like a technical probation violation. And that can be as simple as speaking with or associating with someone who has a felony. Uh, and also, male survivor, many male survivors don't seek help or aren't aware that help is available in general. Um, and there are uh, stigmas around receiving counseling or receiving outside support or talking through feelings, especially um, when we think about it from a gender socialization lens. Uh, for men, we, we men are really taught not to cry, not to talk about feelings, not to have emotions. Um, so doing something like seeking counseling can seem unmanly. Uh, and, or it's an assumption that that's not something that is for them. Yeah, thanks for focusing on that. I think that's really important. And I wonder if you have any thoughts, Tanji, around um, what an advocate at a sexual assault center or what a center can um, can do to to help counter that um, maybe unawareness that help is available for male survivors who are going through reentry, um, or to counter that. Um, you know, that lack of help seeking behavior, perhaps that that we see with, um, with many men, um, whether they're male survivors, um, or not, are there are there things that a center can do to try to position themselves well to, um, to make sure that that those male survivors who are, um, are reentering the community um, can get that support uh, for the long term um, needs that they may have related to their trauma? Yeah, and I, the first step is, is, is with building relationships. Um, you know, even if your organization is not able to or have the capacity to support from the incarcerated folks, there are still people doing reentry work. And so a good step is just connecting with a reentry program or people who, you know, other organizations that work with formerly incarcerated folks, because they might not have the capacity to support the sexual violence, but that's the truth for. So, um, just understanding and knowing what is available within your community for people who have been incarcerated, building relationships with other advocates, um, and then figuring out how you can lean and support each other. So, uh, and that can be as simple as just saying, hey, we exist, and this is the support that is available. Because um, sometimes it, even the understanding, they might not even know that you 
our, our offering support services. Um, just because again, that's, it's a big stigma around people who are formerly incarcerated. And it's, I think sometimes the thought that only people who do re-entry work are the only people who work with formerly incarcerated folks. And that's just not true. Um, so we all have to, you know, kind of come together and figure out what support is offered, but also making sure too that uh, your organization is welcoming in the best way possible. Um, so that could be as simple as thinking about what things you have in your office, thinking about your staff makeup, thinking about um, where you are able to provide services or when. Um, so just considering all those things, just the same considerations that we make for any survivors, uh, formerly incarcerated people should not be treated any differently. Uh, and um, we have to just be intersectional in our work, you know, and address and be mindful of all the needs a person might have. It's like we just talked about all those barriers, you know, that people have. So if we know that housing is a barrier or education or um, finances are a barrier, seeking out and understanding who in your community can support people in that way. And even just letting them know, like someone, it might be the opposite, someone, someone a survivor may come to you about housing or about finances and knowing what programs are available, you're able to offer them a resource. That's really great. Tanji, we are um, saying all of these types of things throughout um, this work that we're trying to do with male survivors, letting advocates know that, you know, if you don't already know, you will have to do things um, differently than the services and the outreach that you have had in mind if, if you haven't had male survivors in mind before. So you might have to rethink some of the relationships that you have in your community, the, the approach, the, um, the places you provide services. So um, you're just reflecting on and you're reflecting so many of those messages that we at NSVRC are trying to um, get out when we're talking about male survivors. So um, I really appreciate how in sync we are. And that's really great insight for, um, for advocates thinking specifically about male survivors upon reentry. And um, we talked a little bit about, about gender already and stereotypes and socializations and um, some of the things to know about about male survivors in particular who are, are, um, who are going through um, a reentry. Are there, are there other aspects of gender socialization or other stereotypes that, um, that you think the advocates need to be thinking about? Yeah, uh, one thing is that uh, um, because of how men are socialized, uh, for some men, they don't wanna be I even identified as a victim or survivor. Uh, so that's, that's the first part, you know, um, and, the best way to reframe it is to think about it in a first and first kind of person first kind of way that this is a person that had this experience, but it's not who they are. Um, and so just be mindful of what labels um, the man you're working with are comfortable with uh, and ask, you know, ask questions. And so uh, there is also the stereotype too that being a victim is weak. And weakness counters the stereotypes that men feel pressured to live up to. Um, a lot of men don't want to be seen as weak um, because the stereotypes men get are to be strong and to be tough and to be brave. And for some men, uh, they have a comfort, you know, with accepting those stereotypes and they have embraced it as a part of who they are. Um, and they, and in some ways, and so just keeping that in mind that, um, Sometimes 
the stereotypes that men get are actually related to who they are and just just keeping that in mind too. And then also remember too that some male survivors can carry, you know, toxic masculinity stereotypes, you know, um, they still might also carry some of those gender stereotypes that are harmful, even if they are a survivor too. They still might have those feelings that uh, being sexually assaulted is weak. Um, they still might feel like, you know, men should be in charge or men should um, be in control or that, um, you know, that other folks are weaker. So just keeping those things in mind too, that uh, there might be some time, and, and especially considering um, prisons and the makeup of prisons where toxic masculinity and these, these stereotypes are um, even greater within the prison setting. So coming out of that setting where it's hyper-masculine and a lot of times toxically masculine, um, but coming out of, coming out of there, um, they must, you know, carry some of those same beliefs, you know, and just, just being prepared, um, and mindful of that. And so also too, male survivors don't often fit this perfect description of victim that people have. People, when they hear victim, they, a lot of times assume a woman, a lot of times assume a white woman, um, or that, you know, someone who didn't do anything or someone with no, you know past or background or no experiences of being in prison. This is just, you know, this perfect person where this horrible thing happened to them. But we know the perfect victim does not exist. That anybody can be sexually assaulted. And even if someone did commit any kind of crime, being sexually assaulted is not part of their penalty. Um, and so it's, and they're not deserving of it. So, we know because we know that there is no perfect victim, we have to still validate feelings. We have to still let people know that we believe them. We have to, you know, make sure that people are aware that, that the violence that they experience is not their fault, even with male survivors. Um, and keep in mind that men will still need to hear that. Survivors in general will still need to hear those things. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate you focusing on that that um, archetype of the perfect victim and pointing out how uh, male survivors who are are um, incarcerated or formerly incarcerated are really um, existing in this place of um, you know opposite all of those all of those notions, many of those notions. So um, it's a great point to keep in mind. Um, you mentioned Tanji talking a little bit about. Um, how to speak in first-person language. I wonder if you could expand a little bit on um, on why that's important and and how to do it um, in some in some different ways that are relevant to um, to this conversation about male survivors and reentry. Yeah. So um, placing first in person first language means that you're placing the person first and their experience second. So it provides a different level of dignity and respect for that person. Um, so as I mentioned, some men don't identify with the word survivor. So it would be a, a male, uh, you know, someone who experienced sexual violence. Uh, so it's, it's them first and the sexual violence they, they experience second. Um, and that's the same way for even some of the words that we hear for people who have been incarcerated, like uh, convict or um, even like inmate sometimes or criminal, um, those words 
just it's, it's the label that puts on a person so their crime and whatever they did to be in prison overshadows who they are as a person and if, if someone is not even feeling like they can be a person without this label of being um of being you know without this label of their crime it can be hard for them to even seek out and get services or support because they may feel like and you don't even see them as an actual person just only their crime and that's it. So we like to use prisoner a lot of times. Um, we talk about prisoner rape or, um, you know, someone who was formerly incarcerated. And so just changing language and being mindful of that is important. And also just using um, a gender responsive model that empowers male survivors. So when working with male survivors, you want to use direct language, um, validate feelings, making sure that they um, understand that um, their experience does not make up who they are, doesn't make them weak, doesn't doesn't meet any of those things, and that they have a right to feel healed and whole after it. They didn't deserve what happened. Um, so just you know, just speaking directly, but also just I would say when working with male survivors, just giving space to talk, but also space to not talk, um, and being mindful of that person and what it, what their needs are. So just being very person centric. Um, I think is really important. Great. Um, are there other tips, Tanji, that you have for advocates in, um, in working with male survivors who are formerly incarcerated? Yeah, um, I would just say just assess your services and ability to support formerly incarcerated survivors. Uh, do, do an assessment in a real one where you're able to like look at your policies. Like, Is there a policy that says that there are limits to who you can work with? And if not, how can you adjust that policy? Um, figuring out if your staff, you know, how, how your staff feels about working with formerly incarcerated folks and addressing any biases that may be present uh, within individuals or even as an organization as a whole. Um, and it's just like, that's the part of just being honest with yourself and your capacity and what you're able to do. Um, and also again, collaborating with other agencies that work with formerly incarcerated folks including reentry programs that have nothing to do with sexual violence. Uh, so just building that community together and, and recognizing that healing from, from sexual violence and the ability to have access to resources and services is not only on that individual person. It's, it's not only on the survivor to figure out you know, how to get services and what services are available. We as, as service workers in the community, um, it's our responsibility too to make sure that they have access to it. And if we can't support them, then we have someone we can lean on and talk to about it. And that comes with building that relationship with other organizations. I'm imagining that there are advocates listening who are thinking maybe something like, oh, I've, I've, never, um, I've never thought about uh, working with a reentry organization, um, I don't even know what that means or how I would go about doing that. If if there's somebody who is thinking that, um, what would you say? What would you say to that advocate? How could they how could they begin um, learning about the services in their community and and reaching out and um, um, and building those relationships? Yeah. So first, um, it's good to question yourself, you know, and say like, wow, why why don't I know those things? And also just leaning on other staff people. Um, so an advocate might not have the outreach and community resources, but someone else in your organization who may be over outreach may have that. 
you know, same type of, they, they may have that, that access. So that's the first step. Um, and then just, you know, networking, talking to other people, figuring out who is local and close to you. Um, a lot of re-entry programs um, you can find through like just internet research, you know, and uh, sometimes I know some counties um, have like resource guides. So checking those uh, and, and it does take work. I won't pretend that it doesn't take some legwork to do and some groundwork, you know, to, um, well, some, some groundwork to actually, you know, go out and, and seek out these, it, it does. So we have um, at, at JDI, we do have a resource guide where we provide to survivors who are, who are still in, in prison and jail. And each, we have a one for each state. Uh, and on those resource guides, we have to update them pretty often. Um, and it's also available on our website too. And uh, I've had to make phone calls <laughs> to organizations and set up you know, meetings and, and just getting to know what their services are and, and their capacity to support survivors. So it does take, it takes time but once you build that relationship and have that initial understanding that you, the both of you even exist, um, the op, the possibilities are endless at that point. I'm always an advocate too for like collaborative trainings together, cross training each other. Um, one thing that when I first started working at JDI, I had to learn was about language um, and even prison language. There were people who were saying things, and I was just like. I don't even know what this is or you know what that means, but just understanding even just what what language how language is different, you know, can be helpful and it can help you better serve folks who are formerly incarcerated. So many great tips. Thank you so much, Tanji. Is there anything else that you wanted to share on this topic of um, of working with male survivors of sexual assault who are who are going through a reentry? Yeah, I would say, um, please, whenever you get a chance, check out uh, resources uh, on, J on our website. We have trainings um, that are available. We also do uh, TA work. So um, you can email advocate at justicetension.org and you can, you know, get some of our TA services. If you are an organization that is just starting or ready to start or unsure and, you know, want to try something but not know where to start, um, feel free to reach out to us. We're here as a resource to help support um, survivors of sexual violence behind bars. And that also includes people who are formerly incarcerated. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Tanji. Um, and we do invite listeners to learn more about working with male survivors and more about JDI's work by checking out the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.